I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a special Cheeky Scientist radio show. Why is it special? Well, this is the second to last show of 2020. Many of you might be excited to say goodbye to 2020, but hopefully not. I think 2020 has been in many regards. It's uh, just speaking in terms of per personal and professional growth opportunities. Uh, second to none, uh, certainly in my lifetime. And I think if you can uh, adjust your perspective, again, speaking in terms of personal and professional growth, uh, challenge or adversity uh, is your advisor. Uh, challenge, uh, problems, they are what allow you to grow. Uh, you know, you can look at this in, in life throughout, through really everything around us. Uh, plants, they grow uh, they don't grow without friction, without atmospheric pressure. Not to totally nerd out on you, and I know some of you uh, botanists might have some things to say about that, but friction uh, creates growth. And so these challenges that you face, this disruption, this chaos, hopefully it's made you a stronger person. You've had to learn to uh, rely on parts of yourself that maybe you did not have to rely on before. You've had to think more creatively than you've had to think before. Uh, one of the articles I'm going to discuss today. We have a very special cheeky stack that we're going to go through of some of the top insights across the industry. We're doing a roundup of, of some of the best insights of this year. We're going to also focus on a few topical things. This is something new we are going to be doing moving into 2021, looking at which companies are merging, looking at some current industry trends, uh, looking at what, what stocks, uh, merging markets uh, are uh, increasing trying to help you develop that business acumen. We hear these requests quite a bit from you. And, and of course, you can always send us requests at support at cheekyscientist.com for this radio show. Uh, but today I want to start with talking about your growth in 2020 and beyond being your duty, uh, being the, the moral good that you should see yourself as required to do in this life. And I, I don't want to get too theoretical or philosophical, although if you're listening to this, you either have or are about to get a, a doctor of philosophy degree. But it's important for you to understand that it is your duty to have an impact on humanity. And that's what drives me every day. It's what drives our organization every day is helping PhDs understand that you likely got into your PhD program because you wanted to have an impact on humanity in some way. There might be some other goals too. You want maybe the degree, uh, some level of recognition or to create something that has a legacy for you, whether that's through your name and in papers you publish or beyond. And hopefully you've realized with our help that you're not going to be able to have a major impact on humanity in academia. Now, is that arguable? Of course. Uh, but what is not arguable is that whether or not you could have a bigger impact in industry. Things have changed. We're not in the 1950s anymore. The impact that a PhD can have on humanity in terms of the best innovations, uh, you know, being able to manage experiments or manage strategic uh, business development, this happens in industry now. 
You were not meant to be a, a pair of hands in a lab or a classroom or uh, you know, regurgitating outdated information that doesn't apply to people today, that doesn't help people today. You were meant to do more. Uh, it is your obligation. You are obligated to do that. You've heard, maybe you've heard the phrase, I think it's from Spider-Man, which is going to make me really sound like a nerd, but with great, right? Great power comes great responsibility. You are highly intelligent. You have an incredible skill set. You're probably comparing yourself to the maybe the smartest PhD you know, or your PI or somebody else, but overall in the population, you, you have a, a very high IQ, you're very intelligent, you're incredible problem solver, you've learned a lot of these skills uh, in graduate school or beyond that are highly valuable. You can do research and analysis, you can evaluate information for its credibility, data, whether it's data, quantitative information or qualitative information. Industry needs you. You can't afford to be invisible anymore. The world can't afford to have you be invisible anymore. Uh, I had somebody recently ask me, you know, why do why do you do this? Why do you uh, why did you start Cheeky Scientist? Why do you care about helping PhDs? Uh, you know, what's your rationale? In short, is what they were asking. I said, well, I think it's my moral duty. Now, you know, morality has always been fascinating to me. I actually minored in, in moral philosophy because I, what I found fascinating is, is that most people don't argue whether or not there is a morality, right? They argue what's right and what's wrong. A lot of people have different opinions about that, whatever yours is, whatever mine is, whatever others are. Um, but when they're arguing what's right and what's wrong, they're not arguing whether or not there is a morality. They're arguing what framework or what the structure of morality is, what's good and what's bad. I believe that it's that uh, morality can be seen in in many cases, especially for PhDs, as objective. Where if something performs better, if something is more productive, if something helps more people or saves more lives overall, it's more moral. Something interesting to think about. Uh, but what I what I think that means more practically is you have this incredible intellect, this incredible skill sets, you're meant to do a lot. So don't let academia push you down or make you think you have nothing to offer the world. You do, and you need to do it. You need to see that as an obligation and do whatever you can to get into a space, whether it's a, a nonprofit or a for-profit company, a large company, small company, private company, public company, whatever's going to allow you to have the biggest impact because you can. I've seen it all throughout 2020. I've seen it in the years before. And what shocked me this year in particular is how many PhDs were hired despite everything happening. More PhDs were hired than ever before in the last quarter of this year than we've ever seen. Everybody else, right, hiring in most other sectors, not just retail, not in just the restaurant space, but it went down. Unemployment rates have started to tick back up again. They're still incredibly high, but for PhDs, hiring has increased. Why is that? It's because of those skills that you have. It's because the world is marketing your value for you right now with everything that's going on with research, R&D, uh, clinical trials, uh, not just in the infectious disease space, but all around just the way that people are, are seeing in their daily lives how valuable data is, how valuable uh, correct models of data are, how valuable information on how to actually read data is. The world knows you're valuable now and it's your duty to add value to the world. Now, it might have seemed like a tough time this year for you, and I'm going to go through this special cheeky stack, uh, some articles that I've been reviewing that'll 
help you understand what you can do, what, you know, looking back, what could you have done? And even if you missed an opportunity, what you can do now, despite everything going on, because a lot of the changes from the pandemic, we're going to see extend into 2021. There's a great article in the Muse called The Nine Ways to Keep Growing in Your Career uh, During This Pandemic. And it was our article of the week. Uh, and I, I just, I love every single point on it. Number one, identify how you'd like to grow and stay focused on your goal. The key word there is focus. I talked a lot about this in, in many of our programs and the private groups. I, I would get in the groups and, and remind people, don't get distracted. Look, there's always going to be things to pull you away from your professional growth from advancing. You have to be very, very sharp. You have to be very, very uh, vigilant to make sure you're investing your energy, your time into things that are going to have a larger impact overall. Don't get baited into conflict. Don't get baited into battles. So many battles happening, and it doesn't mean that some of those battles aren't important, but I want you to look at the overall campaign, the overall war that you're fighting, the war being to do good in this world. And as a PhD, you have to look at things at a higher level. You got to stay focused. And a lot of this comes down to advancing your career forward for, the, for those of you that are trying to transition into your first or next industry job. Number two, set a meeting with your manager to discuss your career. So important. Many of us are too afraid. I was. I was so afraid to talk to my PI because once I told him I wanted to go into industry, he saw me as a failure. I found it hard even after I transitioned into industry to set that meeting up with your manager, but they want you to. It's not, especially in industry, it's not like academia where you're just bothering your PI. Now, some of you have great PIs. That's fantastic. Good. Keep meeting with them. But in industry, your manager will reward you. They'll see it as leadership, a leadership skill to be able to ask for that kind of help. And we'll see this uh, theme throughout some of the other articles that we're going to discuss today. Volunteering for stretch assignments. You want to get promoted? Ask to do more. Ask to help out in a different area of the business. Uh, if you get hired into the R&D department, ask to help out in terms of coordinating or, or managing a project, adding some organization or an increased level of organization to what you're doing. Volunteering now, whether it's going on grand rounds, you know, maybe some virtual things that you can do, jumping on earnings calls with companies. We're actually going to go through an earnings call here a bit later today on the show. Uh, number four, get innovative and pitch new ideas. Your value as, as a a PhD or really any professional in any, any career is the ideas that you bring, their highest level value and your ability to execute on those ideas. So pitch ideas, but I would say also pitch a plan, right? Uh, if any manager worth their salt is going to know the difference and, and really value the latter. If you say, you know, this is a problem and you end it there, anybody can do that. It, it, at best, it's annoying. <laughs> but if you say, here's a problem, here's an idea how to fix it, great. Pretty neutral still though, right? You have an idea, okay, go one step further. Here's an idea how to fix it. And here's a plan on how we might be able to execute it. If they have a plan in hand, they're more likely to tweak it and let you run with it. Number five, grow and maintain your network right where you're at. So if you're in graduate school, your postdoc, you can do it now. But for those of you that are already working, you have to reinvest over and over again in your current network. It's so easy to get hired and just passively build relationships with those you have the most affinity with or that you're closest to, the office next to yours, the people you share the office with. Go beyond that, right? Talk to people in the other subsidiaries by email or by phone. 
Uh, talk to people in the other departments. Number six, attend virtual networking events. Do not let the fact that you can't meet with people in person as easily stop you from meeting at all. Number seven, find, find a mentor. Number eight, take online courses and programs to strengthen your skills. This is how people learn today. What I would say first and foremost is, yes, find somebody who is in a position above you who you can learn from. Even if, if you have to learn from them at a distance first, don't ask them to be your mentor. It's just, it's too intense. It's too formal. But instead, just learn from that person. Watch the way, learn from their example. Uh, do this with people that are very far ahead of you, maybe five, 10 years ahead of you, where you want to be in your career. Do, do it with people that are six months to a year ahead of you, as well as people you're working side by side with. And also learn how you learn best. You know, I found out fairly recently that I learned best uh, through just by audio. I learn and take in information much better by audio than I ever imagined, more so than visually. Uh, you know, there's kinetic learners. Lots of other types have been uh, identified, or at least theoretically. Figure out how you learn best. Do you learn best by yourself in a group, in a cloud, uh, in, a, in, a, in a class, or in a crowd? Take advantage of that. Number nine, take control of your self-development through books, radio shows like this, podcasts. Don't just read the next peer-reviewed journal article. Read information in different sectors. Go as far as this is something that I really pushed myself to do, even though I didn't have much interest in it beyond just, you know, the, I guess the, the curiosity that we all have as PhDs. I started trying to learn about architecture. I started trying to learn about plants and gardening. I started trying to learn about even uh, fashion, things like uh, antiques. None of these really stuck, but they did open my eyes to the world in a new way. And it helped me be more creative. So never stop learning. Learning, it should be like a river that just keeps flowing faster, faster, and faster. This is a great lesson for those of you um, who are thinking about how to maybe make some goals or some resolutions for 2021. Uh, another article in the, the cheeky stack here is the six-second resume test. Six-second resume test. So if you've followed our training at all, uh, we talk about this on our, our blog at cheekyscientist.com slash blog. Uh, we talk about this on, on our radio shows, of course, in our programs at a much deeper level. Five to seven seconds. Eye-tracking, peer-reviewed eye-tracking studies show that resumes are consumed in five to seven seconds. So what can actually be taken in in that amount of time? Uh, well, this article argues, and I'm going to argue against it in some, some of these points, but this article says name, certifications, contact info, supporting media, professional title summary, core competencies, highlighted achievements. Okay, so of course your name and your contact info, look, your name is your name. Uh, your contact info that, that's not something that they're scanning. They're not scanning your LinkedIn URL. I would argue against that. That's not one of the major things that when we have PhDs do our, our five to seven second test where you take your resume, give it to somebody, time them for seven seconds, take it back and have them write down everything that they can remember. They're not remembering your phone number or even your email. Okay. So I would argue against that. What they do remember though is numbers. You don't see that on this list. Numerical values, those eye tracking studies show that our eyes stop on numbers. So having quantified results is crucial. I do agree with core competencies, highlighted achievements. 
in particular, the transferable skills, the competencies you put at the beginning of your bullet points. Don't bury the lead. That's why we always say start every bullet point with a transferable skill. Supporting media, I don't really agree with that. Most people won't go beyond uh, looking at your resume to supported uh, media. The professional title summary, absolutely. It's the top one third of the resume. That's the visual center. That's the part that you definitely want to focus on. Now, there's another article that I, that I happened to come across, very recent article, uh, what to include in your resume for your first job. Now, this I think this is more of just a, a unique spin on a title because really for any job, this would help. But for those of you that are freshers, right, you're coming out of getting your PhD, maybe out of your postdoc, it's your first industry job since getting your degree, uh, that professional summary is crucial. Now, what this article does say it says, you know, objective statement or summary. Do not include an objective statement for a PhD level job. You need your professional summary with your three biggest career highlights. This article says your education is important, but what it should also point out is your education needs to come after your work experience. I cannot tell you how many countless PhD resumes that I see when I go to different universities and I do a resume review. They've never... Uh, you know, looked up the, the cheeky scientist methodology. They haven't done any research whatsoever. And so they put their education at the top of their resume. Big mistake. Do not do that. Uh, this article does talk about formatting, and I'm happy that it does because uh, a format, a non-PhD format is crucial here. You do not want to shrink down the margins. You don't want to go from 1.5 uh, paragraph state, uh, spacing to one to squeeze more information in. You want to have lots of white space. You want to make it easy to read, easy to skim in those five to seven seconds. Another great article in the Cheeky Stack, how not to dress for a virtual job interview. It's funny how just adding that word, how not to do something makes you perk up, right? That's our negativity bias in our minds. Uh, so that's why you see a lot of articles with that kind of title. What it does do though, and I like what I like about this article is, is first it says what you should do. Wear uh, pieces of clothing or accessories that help express your personality. This is good. Now, I wouldn't get too wild and crazy, whatever that means. Obviously, you're, you're interviewing. You want to dress professionally, but adding a little color uh, to uh, an accessory uh, would uh, be advantageous. Right? Let that come out because you don't want to completely hide who you are. You want to also think about the culture you're applying to. And you know, yes, you want to fit into a culture, but you want to make sure the cul culture fits you. You don't want to be out of place or feel out of place or be working for an organization that is just not a good fit. Uh, don't do, it says, what, what does it say here? Don't even think about loungewear, right? Uh, specifically, wear shoes. Now, you've all heard the jokes like, of course, you have to wear, uh, make sure you're completely dressed, including from the waist down. Uh, you never know if you're going to have to uh, fix a cord behind your computer and then show that you're just wearing shorts. Dress entirely as if you were having the interview in person, including shoes. There's a lot of behavioral psychology studies that show, really, they're fascinating. Uh, one of my favorites is if, if you carry a heavy clipboard around with you, uh, you are likely to perform better on a test, right? Or if you carry a heavy clipboard around with you, uh, I think they had different uh, clinicians or early uh, medical school students do it. They were uh, more likely to give correct answers uh, when they were doing rounds. Uh, look some of this up. It's pretty amazing. Uh, uh, another one that I remember is 
if somebody holds a warm cup of cocoa or apple cider versus if they were a cold drink, the person who holds the warm drink is more likely to have an engaging, warm conversation with somebody at a networking event. Now, they measured this quantitatively, too, by how long the conversation lasted. So the same person would have a longer conversation with a warm cup, right, versus a cold cup. And the cold cup wasn't so cold that they were, like, in a hurry to leave. It's just the warmth made them warmer, right? Our physiology and psychology are connected. Wear shoes because it's going to make you behave more professionally. It's going to make you raise your game. This, I have to say this one for PhDs. Uh, I wish I could have said it to myself. Oversized blazers are uh, detrimental <laughs> to you getting hired, right? So even just an extra, a few, a couple centimeters, an extra inch uh, in the shoulders can make you look a bit ridiculous. So you might think, okay, I'm just gonna borrow somebody else's blazer and it's gonna work. Don't do that. It looks ridiculous. If you have no other options, then pin it in the back so that it fits better. It's very easy to do. Get a couple of uh, bobby pins or baby pins. I, I don't know what kind of pins they're called, but pin it in the back so that it fits. Uh, or invest in the, the clothing that you would need to do a, a few rounds of interviews. Uh, and I, I say that as somebody who was really hesitant to buy my first blazer. I almost didn't go on an interview because I had such a poor academic mindset. Uh, so think about your video interview, approach it the same way you would showing up in person. Uh, another article in the Cheeky Stack, and this is a, a longer title, but I like it. If you say any of these six things during a job interview, don't expect to get an offer. Now, what are those six things? Number one, it's not so much this phrase, I'm a motivated self-starter. It's the fact that these cookie cutter phrases that everybody says makes you look not serious. It makes you look general and boring. We talk about it on your resume. If you have the word enthusiastic on there, get it off there right away. If you have team player on there, it actually reduces your chances. There's a study that shows it reduces your chances of getting a phone screen by up to 40%. Number two, you know, you get the question, where would you like to be in five years? Uh, in five years, I'd like to be where you are. <laughs> Right? Or I'd like to be in a management. Don't say that. You're telling the person you want to take their job or be their boss. Just say you'd like to develop your skills and maybe get into a more leadership position uh, where the company could use you best and, and where it would uh, leverage your skill sets. Number three, I didn't like my previous boss. This seems so obvious. Whenever I had anybody, uh, whenever I have anybody ask about this, they're always like, of course, I'm not going to talk trash against my boss, et cetera. But when we get into those conversations and we haven't had a lot of behavioral practice, it's so easy just to kind of let it, it just feels good. It's cathartic just to let it slip out that, oh, you know, we didn't really have good, the same management styles, right? They were a bit more aggressive. Or yeah, they just were really uh, difficult. You know, they, they had a, a very, um, they were a little bit more openly, uh, setting, uh, they set goals that were a little bit more openly uh, aggressive or they they had a, a quieter style. They didn't like to communicate very much. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the things that I've heard in the past uh, from people that have interviewed here, right? They just let these little things kind of sneak out. They think it's okay, right? Because maybe they're interviewing, uh, an example of somebody who's interviewed a, a cheeky scientist, I remember years ago, they said, 
well, you know, I really just want to get out of academia. You know how horrible it is. Now, even though we talk about how broken the academic system is, when, when somebody who's interviewing jumps to the negative, it leaves a bad impression. So do not do that. Never jump to the negative. Never jump to blaming anybody else, even if that's the case. Look, there's two sides to every story. If something didn't go well, there is something you could have learned from it in terms of how you could have handled it better, even if it's you you know, not engaging in a battle that didn't matter and putting your focus elsewhere that would have uh, led the, the company or the lab or the classroom to more success. Number four, my biggest weakness is that I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> You're going to get that biggest weakness question. It's a fine line between giving a ridiculous answer like, oh, I just, you know, I just work too hard. That's my biggest weakness. And saying something like, well, I've made mistakes in the past in XYZ area, and I was hesitant to ask for help. And since then, I've learned that asking for help uh, is something I should do more often. All right, so you want to use that STAR technique we talk a lot about, the STR situation, task, action, result. If they ask about your biggest weakness, turn it into a, a story where you learned a lesson at the end of it. Can you tell me more about this company, right? So uh, if they ask you, do you have any questions for us? Your question should not be for them to educate you on the company in general. Uh, don't ask any question that would have them give an answer that you could have found by doing research. That's the point. What do your perks and benefits look like? I have seen, I've been on hiring committees for so many PhDs who ask this question. It just comes across greedy. Do not bring this up. Like there'll be a time after you get the offer for negotiating, for discussing perks and benefits. Until then, do not ask about it. I don't care what anybody else says. Do not do it until you have an offer in hand. Very, very important until you get to that final stage. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah. What, what kind of benefits? You know, what, what's the salary like? Focus on the work you're going to be doing, the experiences, the team, and the person you're talking to. This next article is in the Wall Street Journal, the best career skills to have for any job. Now, it's a, it's a very simple article overall, right? It had kind of uh, uh, platitudes like, uh, be kind, have integrity. Those are important, of course, but they weren't very specific. There was, though, at the top of the article, it talked about being self-sufficient. And I think for a lot of us as PhDs, we hear that, oh, your PhD is going to work against you because you're too independent, you're too autonomous. Not true. Your ability to work on your own, to be a self-starter, to be self-sufficient is the most one of the most valuable um, skill sets or characteristics you have. Do not hide that from your candidacy. Crucial. The ability to ask for help, the ability to say, I don't know, that's number two in this article. That is crucial. We all learn to say, I don't know. If we had a thesis committee worth their salt, they taught us to be able to say that. I don't know, but here's how I would find out. If you had to face this conflict, what would you do? Number three on this list, practice managing conflict. So being able to communicate that you're not afraid of conflict, and when you face it, you'll work to resolve it. You can get over your ego. You can find out what the problem is, whether it's uh, an emotional or relationship-based problem or a problem uh, more objectively in the data. And being prepared to compromise, to discuss compromise is not, and yes, I would even say compromising on your work. It's a tough statement, right? It's a tough, tough pill to swallow as a PhD. Compromise on my work? Uh, don't, uh, don't, uh, you know, ensure that I have done everything perfectly. Yeah, you have to compromise on your work uh, just in terms of timelines, right? You might be working on the perfect 
list of ingredients for a particular type of skincare lotion that helps people uh, deal with uh, diabetic, you know, wound, wounds, people that have a diabetic neuropathy um, that have these, these large wounds. Let's say you're trying to come up with a, a new formulation for this product and you're, you're like 80% of the way there, right? And whatever that metric might be, right? How quickly it absorbs or how effective it is overall efficacy. And you got to get the product out right now. You can't go any further. That's a compromise. You got to get the product out as it is. You'll get feedback from the market. You can continue to improve it, but you can't wait forever until it's absolutely perfect because everything can always improve. And that's something that a lot of PhDs really have a, a difficult time uh, with an industry. Okay. So, you know, one of the sections here in the, the, the cheeky stack is academic blues. We like to call it academic blues. And there's an article out in the Republic that call that, that talks about colleges all over the U S but it refers to, uh, you know, Europe, uh, many other countries as well. They're, they're facing heavy cuts. Now you're probably thinking, okay, of course I've seen this, right? There's fewer grants, because of the pandemic, a lot of labs have shut down. I don't want you to ignore what the timeline looks like and what's going to happen in 2021. I want you to understand the cause and effect here. So higher education, like graduate schools that give PhDs, they're reliant on not just grant funding, right? Not just funding, you know, directly from the government or funding from the university, which you know, ultimately comes from uh, donors or from the government, but also the uh, the tuition rates for people that are coming into the undergrad uh, courses or, or, you know, what's typically referred to as college or university, depending on the country. Enrollment rates for undergrad uh, classes have dropped, depending on the study you look at, from 20 to 30 percent. So that's the same as having a 20 to 30 percent uh revenue cut. If the university is a business and it is, they're going to be making 20 to 30% less next year, just from enrollments, let alone from the decreases in, in grants and the decreases in government funding as well. So what does that mean for you? There, that, that means that we're at a tipping point. We're already seeing PhDs going into industry as their first choice, talking about it much more openly just in the past five years. Uh, but there's still this pile up from the last four to five decades of PhDs in academia. And all it's gonna take is that, that it's gonna take that one straw that's gonna break the camel's back. It's gonna take that, that one card that's gonna make the entire house of cards fall apart. And the house of cards being the postdoctoral system, for example. Where are all these people gonna go when all of a sudden they can't get paid at all? Not just that they're gonna get paid, you know, right at the poverty level, but what happens when they can't get paid at all? There's a lot of you, some of you right now listening to this are working for free. You got your, your PhD and then you stayed working for free because you didn't have a job and, and your PI made you feel guilty or what other re whatever other reason. You need to understand that this is coming and it's going to accelerate. This isn't, a, this isn't doom and gloom. It's a fact that you can definitely get ahead because there's a solution. You're in demand in industry. That's not a something just to make you feel good. It's a fact. You're just the problem is you're invisible. Another article here called "This Spreadsheet Is Exactly What You Need to Track Everything in Your Job Search." I kind of feel like they 
maybe got a peek at our job search strategy spreadsheet in the Cheeky Scientist Association. Uh, ours is a simple sheet. It only has five columns. Some of the columns are the same here, right? So companies, the companies you're interested in working for, those that are growing, those that are doing well, that's one column. That's definitely in our job search strategy sheet that our associates fill out too. And then of course the job openings, that happens to be their number two as well. See what I mean? It's like they, it's like they saw it. So the job openings at these different companies, that should be in the second column, right? Then, and then this next one can really just be a, a checkbox according to uh, this article, whether or not you sent in an application yet, which I do like that, that's a good idea. Whether, you, whether or not you've had contact with a hiring manager, it's another checkbox, whether or not you've had an interview, if you did the interview, if you got an interview, uh, you know, theirs is mostly kind of a checklist of what to do as you go through the, the job search process or the hiring funnel, as we like to call it. Uh, proficiency test could be another column. What I think is that this article misses the most important aspect of your job search, and that's your network, the people you're going to be getting referrals from. So the third column for our job search strategy spreadsheet, after the companies you're interested in working for and, and the job openings are the, the people that work at those companies you've talked to, your contact list. And you might have multiple contacts per row, of course, per company. But then after that's the last time you talk to that contact. And then the fifth and final column for us is the next time you plan on talking to them. Managing the people and those relationships that you're building as you work towards referrals or setting up informational interviews, or as you start having interviews, that is what becomes the most complicated. That's also the most challenging. This is an article in Clinical Leader. So if you, if you, if you didn't know this, we just released a program that was really hot right out the gate. It's one of our, it's our newest advanced program. It's the Clinical Research Coalition, specifically for clinical research positions. So whether it's a clinical research associate or a clinical research scientist, a lot of other clinical trials positions too, like a data manager. These positions are skyrocketing right now because of what I said at the beginning of this show. Uh, they're, you know, these jobs are being marketed for you. The, all big media is talking about the pandemic every single day, which, un, which just underscores for everybody, whether or not they say it directly or indirectly, how important people who are doing research are, how important people are who can do research and analysis who can synthesize that information and actually make accurate predictions, make treatments, drugs, medical devices, that's you. This is a good article to read if you need to understand uh, the acronyms in clinical research. You know, So CRP usually stands for Clinical Research Professionals, which can include uh, CTAs, right, which is a clinical uh, trials associate, can include CRCs, a clinical research coordinator, these people usually work under, under the direction of a principal investigator at an actual clinical trial site, uh, which could be the, uh, the pharmaceutical company uh, site itself. There's a CRO at a clinical research organization. Uh, this, the clinical research organizations often have uh, uh, CRAs, which are clinical research associates. So CRAs, th these are the, one of the most common roles for PhDs. Great role to get into if you want to get into this space. Uh, what they do is they act as a liaison between the clinical trial manage, uh, management team and the clinical trial site. So you'll do a lot of site visits. They might happen virtually, but you, you have to do clinical monitoring, overseeing the progress of the clinical trial. Very popular position. 
And, and again, uh, many of these CRA positions are at, are at, are at CROs. Uh, some sponsor companies also have uh, CRA roles. Uh, so like a pharmaceutical company might as well. Uh, there's others too. There's all the, most of the acronyms start with CR, right? So it can be CPM as well, right? Clinical project manager, uh, C, clinical trial, CTDM, clinical trials data manager, uh, and many, many others uh, as well. Uh, so one thing you can do to start getting into the space is understand the process. What do clinical trials look like in the country where you want to work? Uh, patient safety, understand that drives all the work that you do. There's a lot of regulation. So a lot of these GXPs, right? So these good practice quality guidelines, make sure that the drug or the medical device is safe and functions as expected. Documentation is crucial. But, you know, it says here in the article, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. We heard that specifically from our program lead leaders in the clinical trials uh, coalition. Uh, you know, communication is key, but it's got to be documented. That is one of the biggest things that separates uh, the clinical research field from uh, the more basic research or R&D is the level of regulation and the reporting that has to go uh, very often, not just uh, through multiple stakeholders uh, at the pharmaceutical company, at the, the, you know, the clinical trial site. If it's not the pharmaceutical company, it outside people involved, other outside labs that are involved, the CRO site, but also to the, to the government. Okay, so we're here at the, the end of the cheeky stack. And what, what we're going to talk about now are some more current trends. I, I want to do this for those of you that take the time to listen uh, to me here on the radio or whatever uh, podcast platform you're using so that you can start uh, thinking more like a business leader. I want to see all of you get into more higher level management positions, which requires a broader and broader understanding of business. So I want to help you zoom out, see the forest, not just the trees. Start listening to what people in the C-suite at some of the largest companies are saying. And so I thought it might be interesting to talk about uh, two biotech stocks, uh, or you know, the, you know, you could consider them pharmaceutical stocks too, uh, although they're typically classified. Uh, by brokerage firms as biotech stocks here, uh, Biogen and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Uh, they had a really, uh, really strong uh, third quarter. I think their fourth quarter was good too. Uh, rather than get into the specifics though, I want to talk to you about large cap versus small cap stocks or companies, right? So Biogen and Regeneron are uh, large cap biotech companies. What uh, biotech companies? What does that mean? Right, so it refers to market capitalization. We haven't, most of us never learned this, you know, unless maybe we got our PhD in finance. Uh, so it's, it's the value of all outstanding shares of a corporation. And it's not that hard to understand, at least in terms of the context, right? If it's large cap, it's a bigger company. A large cap, uh, most often, at least in the US, uh, it has a market capitalization of 10 billion or greater. Mid cap, two to 10 billion. Uh, small cap, 300 million to 2 billion, right? So what is the company worth? Uh, the size of the company, if you hear large cap, small cap, especially when referring to uh, stocks, trends, mergers, that is something to pay attention to. One of the most valuable things you can do in this area for understanding uh, more management level activities at, at these companies, not just in pharmaceuticals and biotech, but any company is is listen to the earnings calls, which are very often public, if not always, or you just might, it might be easier to find some than others. Earnings calls, uh, where they're 
talking to the shareholders. You know, there's not, they don't have like a hundred thousand shareholders on the phone at the same time. People, the shareholders just can listen in like the public, the public being the shareholders, right? When a company company goes public, it means that you or me can buy shares of a company. We can buy shares of Apple or Amazon at any time, assuming we have the money. So there's a, a great one on Seeking Alpha from uh, Applied DNA Biosciences that I would recommend reading. Uh, talks, it's the CEO, James Hayward, talks about the, the Q4 2020 results. The full transcript uh, is listed. And what you should see is, right, very, you know, they state a lot of things seemingly objectively, but it, not always objectively, right? Because they're talking to their share. They don't want their shareholders to sell everything. So you can see kind of how they might try to spin uh, a really bad quarter, what they might do to celebrate a really big quarter. Uh, you know, sometimes they, they might uh, just address it and say, you know, we had a bad quarter, we made this bad decision. But there's this uh, humanity involved because they know they're talking to people. Now, you might think, okay, well, this is, it's, sub it's subjectivity. Uh, obviously, these objective things happen and they're giving it a subjective spin within the regulations, right? Because they have to report the actual earnings. But it's very interesting to see what they talk about. It's interesting to see what they choose to include and exclude, right? So on this one in particular, it talks about, uh, the CEO mentions the, the fiscal third quarter uh, call that they did and how they uh, segmented some of the uh, pandemic or, or COVID testing products uh, out from the other products, right? So they didn't count that into their their basket of revenue uh, for their non-COVID products, right? Because maybe they thought, okay, well, these products are going to be around for a couple of years, but they may not last. Maybe we can roll them into something uh, more broadly that might help with a future uh, epidemic or pandemic. So just seeing those types of decisions, that's business acumen. Acumen is the ability to make decisions. By reading through enough of these, you'll start to gain more and more business acumen. The people, the PhDs who join our programs, we have these private groups where people discuss their transition stories, they discuss their interviews, what, what, what went well, what went wrong, the, the, the difficulties that they're having, why they chose to do XYZ. It really, that's their, their job search acumen. That's what we call it. It's extremely valuable. It's, it's like a journal club. So these earning calls are like journal clubs, but the, you know, there's usually one or a handful of speakers at a company and then there's everybody else listening in. I highly recommend reading through a transcript of an earnings call uh, once a week. And I'm gonna try to make that easy for you by including one on uh, these earnings calls. Uh, let's talk about a, a recent merger with Seneca Biopharma, uh, merged with Leading Biosciences and they changed the name, right? Very often when there's a merger, versus an acquisition where, you know, an acquisition of larger company or a company that's being more successful in one way or another, uh, we'll take over a smaller company and usually keep their name, right? Uh, Bayer, uh, just, uh, you know, they, they acquired, uh, I don't know if they called it a, an acquisition or a merger, but they, uh, I believe they acquired Monsanto. Monsanto doesn't have the greatest reputation. A lot of lawsuits have been happening. Uh, so Bayer, right? kept the name Bayer, obviously, and rolled Monsanto under Bayer. Probably their products are going to come out eventually uh, under the name Bayer for that reason. But here, uh, it was a merger. And as often the case with an actual merger, uh, the name was changed. Not always the case, but it does happen. So Palisade Bio is the new name. 
Now, Seneca, and this is what's interesting, and this is why these definitions of merger acquisition or what they call them in these press releases, it's very flexible. Seneca Biopharma was not doing very well at all, uh, at least on paper, at least in terms of their stocks, right? It turned into a penny stock. It had a couple of drugs that just had uh, big snags and could not move forward. Um, I think that happened uh, this past year with uh, a couple of leading drugs. There's more information in, in, in the press release. Uh, but the the buying company, uh, or, or at least it would so seem, right? There's a lot of information that's not in this press release. So leading biosciences uh, merged with Seneca. Leading Biosciences has a, uh, a drug that's looking very good. It's phase three ready. Uh, the drug is currently known as LB1148. Uh, it, it helps improve gastrointestinal function following major surgery to reduce uh, post-operative complications like uh, abdominal adhesions. Uh, so the question you should be asking yourself is why would Leading Biosciences merge with Seneca? You could dig in more, find out more. I don't know the answer, but what does Seneca have? Seneca, could they have had a great uh, operations team? That's why leading biosciences wanted them. They wanted for the, the people, the, the talent. Did they have a great uh, R&D team uh, where the scientists, uh, did, they, did they need those resources and it was easy for them just to merge with this company rather than go through a, a year of hiring? Maybe there was other infrastructure. Maybe there was certain uh, patents uh, that Seneca had, and that's what leading biosciences needed. But remember, uh, this is a public press release. However, this company, the, the new company that's going to be formed, still has to compete. There's a lot of competitors in the market that want to know proprietary information, so they're not going to release all the proprietary information. But by studying it, right, you can, again, start to think more like a business manager, somebody who might make those kind of decisions uh, in the future. Last, last article I have time to go through, Biospace. It's a Biospace article. It says, Bioscience and Healthcare of the Future. So where are we going in 2021? Lots of choices, lots of changes, of course. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while in one of our uh, most popular advanced programs, the R&D Society, the topic of personalized medicine, right? Healthcare systems, uh, payers, how, how all this is moving towards personalized healthcare and the, the kind of friction from uh, you know, the traditional model of pharmaceuticals and creating drugs for after somebody has a, a problem or a disease and moving uh, at the same time in the other direction, helping prevent these diseases, right? So you, we continue to see the explosion of supplements and, and things like this. And there's just, there's this gray area that's has start, started to uh, get filled in, this in-between area. Uh, phytomedicine, right? So not a traditional supplement because that sounds too maybe uh, hokey to a traditional clinician. Uh, we see the rise of naturopaths, uh, you know, this phytomedicine, a lot of it's just semantics, but we're looking at things that uh, might be a traditional supplement. And can we take these supplements through uh, trials that might be similar to clinical trials and prove that they can help uh, prevent something before a really heavy hitter drug has to be involved, right? Until the problem's so bad that we have to uh, hit it with a drug. And there's a lot of uh, other things discussed here, but it's a interesting topic and something to, to stay in front of. So I know we focused a bit here on, on STEM, pharmaceuticals, biotech. 
Uh, next time, we're going to focus on some interdisciplinary topics. Uh, we have a lot of PhDs that are hired into industries that, you know, I guess in my wildest imagination when I was getting my, my PhD, I wouldn't have thought that these companies would target PhDs specifically. Uh, the hospitality industry, Marriott, Hilton, uh, companies like big, you know, big, big box stores, uh, Macy's, Home Depot, targeting PhDs. We'll talk more about that next week. Thank you for joining. If you want to learn more about us, go to CheekyScientist.com. If you're not a Cheeky Scientist associate, you want to get hired into your first or next industry job, go to PhDsGetHired.com. You can get on the wait list for the Cheeky Scientist Association to learn more. We have a very special, uh, very special deal coming up for our Clinical Research Coalition, our newest advanced program, our, our newest fastest growing program. Stay tuned for that if you're listening to this show. Uh, when it first comes out, we're going to do something special on this uh, right before really Christmas and the holidays kick off December 22nd. So that's going to be a Tuesday, December 22nd. Stay tuned for that. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser Scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it. Then enter the coupon code Cheeky Radio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C H E E K Y R A D I O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000 plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser Scroll to the orange membership button and click on it. 
and enter the coupon code Cheeky Radio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsgethired.com. Use the coupon code Cheeky Radio. Remember your value as a PhD and remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth. Oh, <laughs> oh,